Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. Hey guys, given the fact that we're all stuck at home not doing a hell of a lot, uh, we decided that now would be a great time to launch an initiative that we were planning on launching later on this year, but given everyone's got a bit of extra time on their hands, we figured no better time than the present. You would have heard us mention a lot on this podcast um, about how passionate we are about, I guess, the state of mental health in New Zealand particularly within our community. Um, it's not in great form, it'd be fair to say. It's a kind of a shameful record, if I'm honest. And we've talked about it for a bit, and it's finally time for us to get off our asses and try and do something constructive. So what we've come up with is the following idea. We want to make a recipe book for hunters and gatherers. The content of that recipe book will be submitted by you, hunter and gatherers in our community. So if you've got a recipe, be it for venison, seafood, um, anything that you can hunt and gather in New Zealand, and it's you know your go-to recipe or something a bit special, you can submit it along with some photos, and we are going to choose the best of those recipes to put into our recipe book. We will, at this stage, do a online ebook copy, which will be cheaper, as well as a hard copy, which will cost a little bit more. Um, and then 100% of those proceeds, so all of the profit, we are going to donate to a mental health charity here in New Zealand. So the idea is to build a recipe book for hunter and gatherers, by hunter and gatherers, to benefit our community of hunter and gatherers, in a nutshell. So again... Any recipe that you have that you think others would enjoy that you're prepared to donate to the cause, we've made a real simple submission form on our website. If you go to theeducatedhunter.com and just click on the tab that says Hunter Gatherer Recipe Book, there you'll find a um, submission form. Just fill it in. It's your name, address, well not address, name, phone number, email address, uh, as well as the recipe itself. Uh, once you've done that, you submit it, you need to go to your emails, confirm your email address, that email often will end up in your junk folder, so if you don't get it right away, check your junk folder, confirm your email address so we can then ask for some photos, if you've got some really good images of the recipe, um, gathering the recipe out there with friends and family, we want the recipe book itself to be full of in images that represent us as hunters and why we do what we do and gatherers and fishermen, whatever it might be. So get on the website, have a read of what we're trying to do there, submit a recipe, get involved and um, you can also pre-order a copy of it as well so we can sort of see, start to get an idea of um, how many people are going to get behind us. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Today's podcast is with Sam Wilde. Sam Wilde is a, a passionate ocean goer. He uh, does the majority of his hunting underwater with a spear gun, although he does enjoy hunting, just like most of our listeners here. But where Sam is different is he is in the water a lot, and he has followed his passion to make a life and a lifestyle around filming underwater, be it photo or video. So it's a really cool chat. It's cool to see, hear, listen to the comparatives between, I guess, hunting on land and, and hunting in the ocean with a spear gun. Yeah, but yeah, just a cool chat. Super cool guy. Amazing content on his social pages. So, you know, if you don't know who Sam Wild is, get on the website, the Educated Hunter website, and follow the links to his social pages. Uh, yeah, just a little disclaimer. Uh, we seem to have a connection issue with one of our wires. So I've recorded this during the COVID-19 lockdown period four, level four. So we are unable to get another court. So we essentially have to edit as best we can what we have. So it's still pretty good. There's just a couple of patches there that get a bit screechy. <laughs> But um, the content's good, so 
I know you guys will still enjoy this. Righty. So today I've got Sam Wild. Uh, for the Kiwis that are listening, Sam is, well, pretty much, as far as I can see, the social figure for anything in the water based in terms of photos and spearfishing. But uh, for the international guys, you may have to look a little bit harder through some of the, the social platforms of which we'll share at the end of the podcast. But um, there's no doubt that when you look through Sam's stuff, you'll be pretty well amazed at what he's capturing. Not, not only for himself, but for the public as well. So so thanks for getting on board today, Sam. Oh, cheers for having me, having me mate. Yeah, no, cheers, for no. the, cheers for the nice words, bro. Oh, no, easy, man, easy. Like, you're the first You're the first podcast I've managed to get get my head around while we're on COVID lockdown 19, so I might as well start with how that's treating you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, same as everyone else, mate. I'm going absolutely mad. Yeah, yeah, finished finish all my jobs, and now just kind of just looking for random bits and pieces to keep me busy while um while we wait for this thing to blow over. Yeah, man. Like, I, I sort of, if I didn't have my family, as in my wife and, and daughter, I'd be stir-crazy by now. You know what I mean? Like, at least I can sort of harp back to the, hey, well, look, this is really good family time, and we don't get that anymore. You know, we both live such busy lives in terms of me and my wife that, yeah, it's, it's, we, are, we should appreciate that fact, you know, it's almost been forced upon us. But outside of that, life's getting a little bit squirrely. Um, I think, although the other thing that I've, I, I guess, I don't know if it's, it's not, certainly not fortunate, but because I've got so much, so much family internationally between myself and uh, my wife, it's a really good leveler to know how, essentially how shit it is internationally. If you know what I mean? We've, because we've done so well as a country, it's easy for us to start going, ah, we've done enough now, let's get back into playing. <laughs> when yeah. when it's a big deal, man, like what's going on overseas, and, and largely because maybe they did some things not quite as well as we have, it's still, it's, you know, the reality is there's a lot of people dying or ill or, or, or lives are affected negatively, you know, and we probably need to keep stock of that here for a little bit longer, I reckon. Yeah, we need to realise that we're actually kind of leading, leading the way, you know, leading the charge internationally in terms of, getting on top of this thing you know just because we're doing okay um where we are now still not great we've still got people dying you know the whole nation's in lockdown um we still need to realize that there's a lot of other pretty much the rest of the world is doing a lot worse off than we are yeah man we need to take that into perspective yeah once we go back into you know even level three which i know you know there's still only a version of level four but once we go to level three like the lines get blurrier people start doing more the interactions more like and if it's sitting there dormant somewhere, like it's going to get picked up and then we come back through this stage again and uh, I'd rather do it once a wee bit longer and deal with it than come in and out, you know? Yeah, bang on, man, bang on. I mean, lockdown is is tough, you know, this level four. I mean, we, but we've only done it for four weeks. Yeah. You know, the rest of the world, I mean, because we've managed to get on top of it the way that we have, we're going to be able to get onto it or get back out into a kind of normal day life far sooner than pretty much the rest of the world. You know, a lot of these guys are going to be in lockdown for months and months and months, you know, potentially six, seven, eight months, you know, of, of lockdown. So I think we're, we're pretty, we're, it sucks, but we're, we're pretty fortunate. And you're right, I think we need to make a real active effort. And regardless of what happens with level three, we still need to focus on knocking the bastard on the head and, and getting it done, you know, yeah. come out the other side and get back to normal life. Get back into the bush, get back into the ocean, mate. The girls are drying out. Yeah, that's what I was, I flicked a message the other day, I was like, shit, you wouldn't have been dry this long before. But, oh mate, I'm going. I'm going mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. I'll get into get into some proper chat for our listeners here. Like, obviously, we are a um, well, it's the educated hunter, but we see hunting as far more than rifle or bow work. Essentially, you know what I mean. Like, it's it's hunting as gathering. You know, that's the raw term of it. Because I guess publicly, you sit more in terms of waterborne hunting i don't know if that's terminology but i just come up with it so that's what we've gone but i understand you also do a little bit of land-based hunting too yeah mate yeah yeah yep 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 um definitely uh, more more ocean focused mm-hmm. um but i mean naturally being a new zealander and kind of having that that hunting drive within me you know it's, of course ended up getting out in, into the bush you know we've got it so good here in new zealand and yeah mate oh, and I, I love it i love both aspects hunting underwater with the spearfishing and then um, I've just got my first rifle and I shot my first deaders before lockdown with my new rifle, which was pretty cool. Cool. Is that um, the head that you've got in the garden or watched on your 
Instagram or Facebook or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. mate. Yeah. No, she's, she's, she's no trophy. Mate, um, it's a trophy. No, I'll, I'll call you up on that one, man. <laughs> it is a trophy, you know what I mean? Like, if it's the first one, then you're going to have that, you know, from now to ever, and you'll remember it whether you've got the head there to look at it or not, you know? Yeah, no, ex- exactly, exactly. Mate, we were in some thick-ass, horrible country, and it was just, it was just a cull stag, you know? So, great character head, not very big, just... Super ugly, but just yeah, so much character. So I'm I'm glad I made the effort to to pull it out. You know, it's it's not my first deer that I've ever shot, but it's my first deer with a rifle, my second ever stag, uh, red stag, and um, oh yeah, mate, no, you're dead right, you're dead right. May not be a trophy to most, but yeah, it's, it's still a trophy to me for sure. Yeah, man. cool. And so wait, I saw you because you did a little clip on um, I guess boiling it up, and now you've got it in the garden. Is that right? Is that how you're going to yeah, so no, I, I, I cooked up. Um, no, I had when I shot my first egg a couple of years ago. That was with a mate of mine, Will Wilding, down in Kaikoura. Um, yeah, I basically just I, I shot that, and it's pretty much just been sitting in the garden ever since. You know, right. but now with COVID, I got I got, I got I got so much time on my hands. You know, I figured I needed to show that heat a wee bit more respect, so I I pulled it out of the garden and given it a real good stain up. Cool. Um, uh, yeah, give me wind it up, and now I've got it sitting inside somewhere. You know, out of the sun. Yeah, yeah. Looking, cool. look, 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 looking pretty, but that other head's still pretty. I don't have a pot big enough. And funnily enough, at this time of year, with what's going on, if you don't have something, you can't oh, really go get it. So, <laughs> well, I know. I've, I've, I've got been, the garden cleaning it up. I've been um, actually using my spare time to uh, tan some skins. Oh, man. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Like, I think my biggest learning from it is paying somebody to tan a skin is real good value for money. But, um,. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I'm glad I went through the process. You know what I mean? Like, and it, it definitely, uh, like, I'm a big, big advocate for looking after your, the heads you've, you know, taken off or valuing the meat and, and just giving real value to the animal you harvested. And this was, um, I guess, this going through the tanning process myself and doing it at home was kind of like the last piece that I hadn't really, really given value to, and the fact that I always. If I shoot a head, the head always comes out, gets cleaned up. I don't care if it's better or worse or ugly or you know whatever the definition I go with. I always clean them up, and then yeah. I um I take all the meat, and then what's left in terms of bones or sort of inedible goes to my dog. So really, I'm pretty much using all I can from it. And the skin was probably the biggest item that was sort of left behind or thrown away at the end. And then to to go through the tanning process, and they were pretty skin, so uh, you know, like it was. That are good to look at, you know, those sort of the uh, really golden fellow deers with the white spots down their backs and stuff. Yeah, so, nice. so I mean, they're, they're pretty to look at, but just the the process itself was, um, I don't know, it was whether well, it sounded a bit strange, but it was almost like a bit of closure to the fact that now I'd done something with the entire animal. It was cool. Yeah, it's cool. You know, it's um fully fully utilizing the animal, which you know ultimately leads to the hunter respecting the animal. Yeah, just that yeah. much more. You know, utilizing the whole thing. That's yeah, yeah. good. So now you've got a rifle, do you plan on doing a bit more hunting or? Oh yeah, oh definitely man. Oh no, I love it. Yep. I ab- abs- absolutely love it. Especially at this time of year, the water starts to cool down. I'm based out of Nelson, which is the top of the South Island, and basically yep. around this time of year, once the raw starts to kick in, the diving gets a bit a bit average, the water cools down, the visibility turns to muck, the kingies bugger off. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a perfect time to disappear into the bush and... Cool. Yeah, get stuck into it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm super lucky. You know, with a few of my mates, the mad keen hunters, they've taught me a lot over the years. You know, um, so I feel like I've got. And now that I've got all my own gear, you know, I've got a fairly good base. You know, that I've learnt from from hunting with these guys with more experience, which is which is cool. Yeah, yeah, awesome, man. And then, and obviously, the other the other I guess topic that you know that shows your strength is your photography stuff. Is that just like a I know when you talk to anybody with a skill set, they don't like this terminology, but is it just a raw talent or did you train at that? Or did, <laughs> where, where's that come from? And I, I get it. I, uh, you know, every Kiwi's like, no, 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 I just wing it. But I mean, shit, you, you, it's pretty good, man. Like, you don't just oh, fake I'm, that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was just going to say, man. Kind of fake it till you make it. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's all. Um, uh, it's all been a relatively long sort of process, the whole photography side of things. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always my biggest critic, which is um, which is a big thing, I think. You know, it's um, it's it's a bit average sometimes. You know, you 
can't really stop and sit there and appreciate your work as much as you should. But yeah. it always stri- strives for me to, 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 to become better in my craft, I guess, taking photos. Um, and, and the photography side of things just came around from from diving. So I got stuck into diving and um, basically went up to Wellington, went to university there, started diving around the Wellington coastline and I was blown away. Every time I entered the water, I'd just start frothing. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to start communicating that froth to other people who may not necessarily get to see the same things that I see. You know, like I'm just sitting here loving it. And not everybody's doing this. So I wanted to show people what I'm seeing, show people what it's like. And so naturally from there, it just came came to filming, grabbed a GoPro and started taking photos on GoPros and, and, and eventually um, yeah, doing some video stuff. And then when I finished up at university, I had a job sitting there doing some underwater filming and I've kind of run with it. Ever since, really, man, yeah, it's good, man. And and so you you take photos on land as well, like a oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so yeah. so now 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 I've got a camera that comes, it comes with me everywhere. Yeah, you know it's uh, it, it just doesn't it, it's an essential piece of kit now. Mm. You know when when whether I'm packing up for a dive or whether I'm packing up for a trip in the bush, the camera and all the camera gear is a hundred percent essential because it's the same thing same thing in the bush you know we've got it so good here and every time I step in the bush I always have such an awesome time and I just have this natural sort of instinct to to want to kind of communicate what we're seeing to yeah to people who don't necessarily get the chance to see that so that's where the camera comes in yeah yeah man I get I like I get I don't have a an ounce of photography ability like (laughs) <laughs> Matthew, my business partner, he'll just be he'll just be shaking his head in both directions. There's a no, Karen, you don't. And yes, I totally agree. Um, <laughs> but I, I wish I do because, like, I agree. Like, through the decision to do what we do, we see so much. And and for me, one part of it is what we see visually, and then the other part is the emotional stuff. And the, I think because when I talk about my stuff in the sea, guy, I'm a a lazy half a dozen time a year power diver. Done a little bit of crazy <laughs> stuff at Stuart Island. Like I live in Alexandra. I couldn't get further from any coast. Um, oh yeah. yeah, you know, like that's like I used to do a lot more when I was younger and keener and didn't have family. And when we decided to go away, we could just go away. But nowadays it's a bit more casual. But one thing that I think the sea does, and then the bush does, is, and it's a little bit like that. Um, where am I going with this? That Wim Hof stuff, you know, like having turning your shower on cold before you get out just to give yourself a bit of shock therapy. Yeah. I I see the sea and the bush kind of delivering that in a slow message and the fact that when you go in there, be it the bush or the sea, you kind of have to give up a little bit of the fact that you're, you're now vulnerable to them and that there's something internally that, resonates that with hunters in you know what I mean and divers and fishermen like that's it's hard to capture on a camera but that's part of what draws us in there I reckon oh 100% agree 100% agree yeah for sure so you, you picked up a GoPro when you were studying but before that were you a, a water guy like you know you, you did a lot of diving and so yeah water. yeah oh I, I'd started spearfishing I've always been connected to the sea I've always lived around the ocean um, used to be a mad keen fisher as a kid, um, didn't used to catch much out here out of Nelson, but just loved doing it, you know, and then got introduced to, to, to spearfishing. I think it was a family friend kind of took me underwater when he went spearfishing and mate, I haven't looked back, I haven't really, I've forgotten how to use a fishing rod. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, so, but I really got stuck into it when I was at university. You know, it's just the, the diving around, around the top of the south, it's quite hard to access without a boat. Whereas Wellington, our capital was fantastic. You know, you got the big city, so to say, but you drive 15 minutes out and you're jumping in the water just off the, off the road and you're catching crayfish and parwa, you're shooting butterfish, moki, you know, there's every chance mm. for, for kingfish to swim past. I mean, I've seen a harpooka, a yeah, groper, right. in about eight metres of water just off Wellington Airport, you know, so huh. you never know what you're going to see there, you know, and it's just beautiful coastline, beautiful country under there. And as a student, it was fantastic. Going out, you know, um, getting a good feed. Not being in the pub, <laughs> and kind of, not being not being in the pub, and just kind of saving money on that on that food bill, you know, and go yeah. out and kind of get your get your meat from the ocean for the week, you know. It's, yeah, it's great. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And so, like I say, I've I've spearfished very minimal, as in I don't know, maybe two or three butterfish and a couple of blue cod. So, is 
is what you do, because obviously you're at a level now where you're holding your breath far in excess of the stuff I have done or ever will do. Is it spot and stalk? Like, do you, in terms or a, an ocean reference to spotting and stalking, do you drop down, sit there, look at the landmark, you know, and then try and identify the fish you're after and go after it? Or do you, like, how do, run me through that. Because <laughs> one thing you watch it, man, you know what I mean? But it's hard to, from watching it, you don't actually pick up what it is is going through your mind. And I, from the way I see it, you know, like a lot of the cameras and stuff are sort of in that fish eye wide angle. So things look really far when perhaps they're not. So it's hard to scale what is going through your head. Yeah, so no, I, I, it, yes, we do. Um, so spearfishing is definitely the underwater equivalent of, of hunting. So with spearfishing, there's just so many things you need to, you need to take into consideration when you're, when you're planning a dive. Tides are a massive one. You know, everything's different on the incoming tide as to what it might be on the outgoing tide. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, a bigger moon will mean a bigger tide, which will mean more tidal flow, which will change everything again. Um, you know, so if you're planning trips, you know, you sometimes more often than not need to base it around tides, sometimes need to base it around moon. Uh, you need to identify your structure, you need to see how the tide is hitting certain structure, um, depending on what species you want to target. A lot of fish sit off pressure points, which is where the tide hits a bit of structure and almost creates like a, a free ride at the front of the rock almost. Mm-hmm. And so, if a, lot, a lot of the spearfishing that I'm doing at the moment, it's, it's all based around currents, tides. Of course, certain locations at certain times of year is different. And then, I mean, that's even before you get in the water almost. You know? mm. And then you jump in and you've got to look for your structure, identify your structure. Certain species hang out in, in different places. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is, it's, it's funny, eh? Like, I think it's the same with, even with deer, even with, with animals on, on land. The fish pick up on, on your behavior. It's, as soon as we're in hunting mode, regardless of whether you're in the bush or or spearfishing, stalking, spearfishing, you you subconsciously start exhibiting natural predatory behaviours within your body, whether it's your head movements, the way that your mm-hmm. body locks up, the way that you walk, the way that you swim. Because it's one of those things, I mean, I don't know about um, when you're in the bush, but when you're in the ocean, you know, it's funny, the things that you see when you leave the gun on the boat, if you're just going for a swim or you're just... <laughs> or you, or you, or you just taking the camera, man. It's amazing the interactions that you have. You know, maybe the same in the bush as well. You know, as soon as you leave the rifle behind, you start seeing more, or you get closer to the deer, or they don't seem to spook as quickly. So you have these amazing, amazing encounters. Hmm. Yeah. So like when you enter the water and you start and you're in hunt mode, um, you know, the, the fish don't just swim onto you. Fish aren't dumb. In New no. Zealand, they may be a little, a little not quite as switched on as some other places in the world. Um, but you can't just swim down, swim up to a fish and shoot it. That just doesn't happen. Um, snapper, snapper's a good example of that. It's probably one of our hardest species to, to shoot. They're incredibly spooky. So if they pick up on anything that's off, boof, they're gone. Yeah, right. So you need to be yeah, incredibly sneaky. So when you're trying to what we call snoop a snapper, which is basically just swimming along, hoping to bump into a snapper and shoot it, you're basically looking for gutters, or, you know, dropping off the sides of rocks and stuff. They're normally sitting there in the tide or sitting in gutters up in the shallows, just sunning themselves. So you see a gutter up in front of you, you need to drop down well before you get to it. Swim slowly, right up, slowly peek over and be ready to try and shoot a fish. But you do that 20, 30 times and you may not even see a snapper. But every time you see a gutter up ahead, you've got to do that if you want to shoot a snapper. Right, so you, you've got to hunt it as if there's a fish there. Regardless, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you've got it. You've just got to think. You know, there's a, a twenty pound snapper sitting in that gutter in front of me, and you've got to do everything right every time. And it's funny that the one time you're like, ah, I'm over it. There won't be anything out there. You haven't seen anything all day, and <laughs> you just swim over it, bro. Yeah. There'll be a snapper. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's hunting as a whole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. so when you're obviously, I imagine a guy like yourself that's done a a bit now, or you know, quite a lot in comparative. You've got some hot spots you're going to but is it is it kind of like fishing like as in you might just do some random boat trips looking at looking at your sounder and just identifying a landmark and thinking shit that's good man let's pop it over the side here and have a look yeah yeah for sure yeah right yeah if you like yeah if if, if, if you're if you're zooming along and well you know you, you, you're cruising along and your sounder picks up a bit of structure in somewhere that you wouldn't expect to see it Hmm. And everything looks right. There's a bit of tide running over it. The tide's looking good. And the visibility looks good. Oh, absolutely, man. 
those, those, those places are the best, you know, because you never know what you're going to come across, you know. Yeah. And it's not every time that you drop over the side and it's and it's and it's epic, but you know, just that you know, if you find that one spot that's a little hidden gem that is just absolutely firing and you weren't expecting to find, oh mm. man, that's, that's gold, and that definitely happens, yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. So, kind of listening to the way you describe that, like how long how long can you hold your breath for? <laughs> oh, mate, <laughs> not as long as I should. For the amount of time that I spend in the water, not as long. Um, when it comes to holding your breath, it's it's oh, for me. There's just so many factors that come into it. You know, it's mm-hmm. what what I, what I've eaten that day, what I ate the night before, the last time I drank booze, how much water I've been drinking leading up to it. Yeah, so it's but not a the water. Like it's not a no. um, session on the beers with the the boys the night before, and then have a go out and have a, oh, a, sma- a smash out it. Right, right. <laughs> I'm picking it up. Right, I get it. Yeah, man. You have a big night on the beers the night before. It's not the hangover that, that, that messes you up. I think it, it almost dilutes your blood a little bit. It's, right. Um, yeah, it's. I, I end up diving like shit. But there's yep. just so many factors that come into a good breath hold. But a couple of minutes is a good breath hold for me, man. Yeah, you know, when actively actively hunting for a couple of minutes, that's 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 yeah, because you're still exerting energy too, eh? At that, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's some divers out there, um, you know, like two and a half, three minutes is a phenomenal breath hold. Doesn't sound like much to someone who's not a diver. It doesn't actually sound like a lot, but when you're actively hunting, you're diving down at depth, and then you start cruising around and hunting and swimming. And, and remember, you're in you're in current, and mm. you're uh, you've got a weight belt. You've got a big spear gun. It's all creating drag. It, uh, it, it all adds up. Um, well, and to think also, like, when I, when I put this, this isn't something I do, but, you know, like, you think back to when you were younger and you held your breath in the bath, the last one or two seconds were pure panic stations, whereas if you're actually diving and at depth and stuff, then you have to be controlled on what is the last portion of that breath too. Like, it's not like you can just, your two or three minutes is is 90 seconds of okay and then 30 seconds of pure pain. Like, you're, that's sort of a relatively controlled two minutes I'm picking. Oh, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. you gotta, you got um, to stay focused the entire time. I think a lot of a good breath hold is actually your mental game, your, your mm. mental state. Mm. Um, I, I run through a, a process at the surface that I go through before I, before I take a drop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need, to, I need to tick all those boxes before I can feel comfortable enough being like, okay, I've done this. Um, I've done these. I've done yeah, this 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 number of breathe ups. I'm I'm good to go. What's a breathe up? Just a big breath, is it? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So basically, what you want to do is you want to lower your heart rate and you want to saturate your blood with oxygen um, at the right level. You don't want to have too much oxygen in your blood because you need a little bit of carbon dioxide in there left just to give your body that that warning that this right. is. This is shit. I need to. <laughs> yeah, I need yeah. to I, What's going on? I need here? to. Br- <laughs> I need to breathe, bro. Yeah. Let's let's go up. Whereas there's a, there's a technique called hyperventilation. You know, you just sit there, and, mm. you know, which is great. And it pumps heaps of oxygen in, and it pops a lot of your carbon dioxide out. It's good for getting your, you know, your body saturated with oxygen, but you just don't get those warning signals. You know, yeah. you've got, you know, your body's using all the oxygen, using all the oxygen, and then poof, it's all gone. You know, mm. suddenly like that, and then you can you can black out. Shallow water blackouts are real risk. Yeah. Um, with spearfishing and freediving, more so, more so with freediving, but with spearfishing, I mean, we're doing this for, I mean, all day, you know, yeah. six, seven, eight, six, seven, eight hours of dropping up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, we're, we're not pushing our limit every single time because we'll be rooted, you know, um, yeah. whereas if you, when you're, when you're freediving, you kind of, you train and you have a couple of really dedicated dives. I mean, a lot of spearers out there, if they kind of transferred over to, to, to freediving, Yep. Which is a completely different sport, completely different um, discipline. There'd be phenomenal freedivers for sure, um, but you know you don't get the same depth and you don't get the same um, bottom time right. when you're spearfishing. And yeah, that's that's not the goal. Do you, so? Are you are you training for this, or is you've just got to? Where you've got to, and <laughs> oh, I should be, man. Yeah, oh, I absolutely, I absolutely should be. Yeah, right. Yep. No, I'm like in the in, when you're not spearfishing, you should be in the pool doing some trainings even just you know going for runs and stuff keeping fit mm-hmm. it's the same as you know the same as hill fitness you know if you're not doing yeah. it you lose it you know you can't smash out a couple of big trips and it needs to be know, specific over, eh? over oh, the that's wall. the thing yeah yeah, yeah it, it does because because dive fitness does not transcribe to the hill at all god yeah. I wish it did because <laughs> right. the, the old <laughs> boy that, the old boy that taught me to pig hunt um, he's now passed but 
back in, I guess, his youth, or, or certainly younger days, he had the power quota for like the Lower South Island type thing. Um, oh, yeah. And he used to do a lot of this sort of training and lie on the bottom of the pools, you know, whatever, and all that kind of stuff. But the one thing that I guess sort of buggered him in his age, and, I, and where I'm going to go with this is, does it worry you, is in his later years, I guess the damage to his ears, his balance was so poor, almost limited the way he was able to hunt and where he could hunt and stuff like that. And I get that we now, now probably know a whole lot more about this because I'm talking, um, well, he would be uh, mid-60s now type thing. So yeah, you know, yeah. I'm talking 40 years ago, so. Interesting. So does that, does that, is that something that you guys in the industry think of or is it, is it, is it a thing? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I know that if, if you're, if you do anything to, to your inner ear, it definitely messes with your balance a hell of a lot. Mm. Something that something that us divers get is we get surface ear, um, yeah. which is basically when your ear when your ear canals are exposed to cold water, cold air, um, relatively frequently. I think it's like a, a, a slight calcification in your ear. Mm. Um, like we, I've got I've got it now. And yeah, it's just right. these 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 lumps in your ear canals, and they eventually start sort of. Closing your ear canals off, and huh. you can you can get them. You have, to, you have to get them surgically drilled out, but you can only do that two or three times, I think. And then it gets to the point where you actually can't equalize properly. You can't dive properly. Right. So when it, for divers out there, for surfers, swimmers, you know, um, yeah, it's always good to keep a beanie on the boat. So even just going from spot to spot, having that cold air running past your ears, it doesn't help. We right. should be diving okay. with plugs, really. We should be yeah. diving with the we, we don't. It's one of those things that it's not affecting us now. It's going to affect us further down the line, and it's going to be one of those things that we're going to kick ourselves in hindsight. Mm. But um, but that but that definitely happens. And if you do have any, any trouble, if you do damage your eardrum, um, then yeah, it can lead to, to balance issues. My uncle's got a real bad case of it, and um, every now and then he just like, if he I don't, I don't know if he's doing a certain something, it'll just trigger him. And he'll just go into a full mode of vertigo. He'll just yeah. start spinning out. He can't stand up straight. And he just starts spewing straight away. And that's all from his inner ear. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, the, the old boy, didn't. he never really got that bad. But like one given day, you could be on the side of a steep hill and it was never a problem. And the next day you were on two-thirds of that slope and he would have to sort of sit down or take a different route, you know. And, and little things become an issue like scooting across logs, over a creek or you know that's that's sort of what we'd consider a pretty straightforward and minor event sort of limited him you know what I mean like he had to drag all the way down and get get wet feet and stuff like that and it, re- it really it was one thing like he you know I know he he loved his dive days and made you know great money and everything you know he was living like the king but he sort of wished in, in part he could take it back to have his balance in his later years eh? yeah well that's yeah. it man I mean as soon as, as soon as that damage is done it's, it's such a sensitive part of the body. It's so hard to for it to heal, you know. It's so hard for it to get mm. fixed. And if, once it's game over, yeah, and far out, man. As a hunter, that would suck. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. You know what I mean? Like he's that's all he'd ever really done, done his entire life. You know, it was either dive, fish, or, or hunt. Like that was what made him what he was. And um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a shame that hey. But um, but anyways, man. Uh, <laughs> we don't have to get too negative. This is this is good topic. Nah, let's, um, let's pick let's pick it back. We're we're about <laughs> um what we're about to your well, I guess this is this is a bit of a broad question in the fact that I've I'm, I want to ask you whereabouts your best dive sites are, but I'm picking there's a there's a difference between a great dive site in terms of ocean scenery and then there's a great dive site in terms of fish success, is it? I imagine. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yep. that's, that's what I love about Wellington. You know, Wellington's south coast is fantastic. It doesn't really compare fish-wise to a lot of the rest of the country, but scenery-wise, it's, it's it's beautiful. But I've been so I've been so lucky, man. Over the last couple of years, I don't know how I've managed to get as lucky as I have, but I've but managed to tie up with some some wicked shows to film with, mm. and they've taken me some amazing places. And I'm a firm believer that New Zealand has some of the best diving and best fish species in the world. Hands down. And I've always, even before coming into this line of work, I've always wanted to fish my feet first. I've always wanted to put all my all, all my efforts into doing trips around New Zealand. My, my bucket list was mainly result, uh, revolved around different places that we have here in New Zealand. And mm. I've been lucky enough to tick those places off um, through the work that I've done and I haven't been disappointed. Yep. So we've got... That's good, um, 
oh yeah, we're, we're so blessed here in this country. With our hunting and you know, and bush life and, and ocean life, oh man, we're just spoiled for choice. But some of my favourite places are definitely Fiordland, of course. An amazing place, incredibly unique scenery. There's nowhere else like it. Massive crayfish all well, over that's, the show. It's one of the places, regardless of whether you're a hunter or a diver or what have you, like every New Zealander should have seen Fiordland in some form. Oh, We're failing oh. if we don't, you know, and, know. and perhaps perhaps this post-COVID could be the opportunity, you know, to, to help, well, one, the community down there, but also just to help your own self, you know, by going there. Yeah. Oh, man, like it, it's, it, it needs to happen. It's one of those things. I've been, I've been super fortunate um, that I've been, uh, I've become really good friends with a charter operation down there. Uh, pure salt pure salt yep. yeah man yeah. Yep. so the the, the the crew that runs that man are just some of the best people that I know so mm. I go on board and I go and I, I, I jump on board and I, I, my job is to get marketing content and oh it's just such an amazing place you never know what you're going to see down there I've been I've been free diving with with harpooka in 15 metres of water um, there's bluefin tuna I've got Footage of John Dory, there's snapper being caught there now. I've seen kingfish. It's it's mm. a cra- it's a crazy place. The scenery mm. topside is mind blowing for anybody who's been down there. But it's one of those things. So being on those charters, I get to meet some awesome people. Everybody who seems to want to come out of field on there, that type of person who's adventurous, they want to get out, they want to do a trip like that. Yeah, and appreciate it. Oh, exactly. But a lot of these guys are older, you know, and they're all sitting there with their jaw dropped, being like. Why, why didn't I come here earlier? Mm. You know, why didn't I come here when I was younger? I knew, always knew it was going to be here, but it's taken me this long to get here, and I regret it because you know I can't make the most of it. I can't dive as well as I want to. I can't get up to the top. Hunt as well. Yeah, I'm yeah. sitting here. You know, I, I, you know, I, I can't. I can't do that. And it's one of those things that we take for granted. Even just getting into Milford, man. I mean, for those who have been to Milford, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. The drive into Milford Sound. Yeah, with something in itself, it, eh? <laughs> Oh man, you just your jaws on your lap the entire time you're driving yeah. in, you know, yeah. and and that's coming and that's and that's coming from Kiwis, you know, like from, from me, I've been lucky enough to see the whole country now, most of New Zealand, and you know we are so spoiled here for what we have on offer, and yep. it still just takes my breath away. Yeah, every man. Time. Oh, it's so a it's, it's, place, it's, man. it's somewhere that needs to be seen. Oh, it is absolutely. Is. I, I I always say quite repetitively, you know, based on the hunting I've done done around the world, and and you know the the people in the the hunters that I know all around the world, either outfitting or, or hunting themselves, like not that this is this conversation is only about Wapiti, but a Wapiti in Fiordland, I think, is like the best hunt in the world. Like it's arguably the hardest. I, I would say it's the hardest, but I'm only it's only my version of the animal itself is beautiful. The scenery and the challenge in the environment is beyond anything else. The weather is more than likely shit, but on the best days you'll forget every <laughs> shit day. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. uh, it's it's just on, something man. else in there, man. It is. But that, that pure salt level, because they're obviously at a few of the trade shows that I do with Ultimate OE and stuff. So I'll put a link on at the end of the podcast on our website for them as well, because uh, I would advocate for Kiwis to go down there and, you know, especially now, now more than ever, it's probably a really good time to look with a New Zealand to do something like that. So um, hopefully those guys, yeah. like, like every other business, they'll have a bit of a hard time coming out of here. So, you know, Kiwis can help other Kiwis by going down there. So that'd be cool. Yeah. One thing I wanted to touch on that, man, and, and, you know, you keep, you referred to the fact that you're lucky, you know, to be given these opportunities and stuff. But one one of the things, and I guess is a bigger picture stuff that I always advocate for is, is guys and girls just going after their passion, living their dream and the importance of that, you know, in ter- not, not, it's hard now because, and I, I know you'll have a wee giggle at this, but because you've, made it or you've been successful now there would have been a long period and i'm only assuming so correct me if i'm wrong but there would have been a long period where there were some doubters going come on sam you've got to get a real job man you can't just keep taking photos in the water or <laughs> um you know who's who's actually going to pay you to do that you know all that sort of stuff and one one thing i do see quite often um and it's a little bit of a little bit of a kiwi mentality that we could probably do with losing is we don't remember how hard it was for somebody when they weren't ticking the boxes if you know what I mean like I, I I can only assume there must have been some days man when you were just out there doing it purely for the love of it and not making any money or having to do a second job to get by or what have you yeah man well that's 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 pretty much how it's it, it's, it's almost still kind of like that 
Yep. To be honest, you know, just just the gaps just aren't between between jobs just aren't quite quite as long anymore. But yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I had a bit of a, a stint living in Auckland where a few things kind of. Well, I just, I just didn't like it, man. I just didn't have a very good time in Auckland at yep. all, really, and it kind of rearranged my priorities and made me realise that I need to focus on doing what makes me happy as opposed to doing things for for other reasons. Yeah, man. You know, instead of for financial gain, you know. And so I've um, yeah, I don't know, man. I've kind of kind of committed to trying to ex- exactly that, man. Trying to live the dream. I mean, why not? We only live we only live once. If I can make it work. You know, it works. Yep. If it doesn't, I mean, at least I had a good crack at it, you know, and at yeah, least man. I won't have any any regret further down the line. But I've been lucky enough to have these amazing opportunities that have been given to me from all these amazing people that have kept me going and, and kept me doing what I'm doing. I've had a couple of amazing years because of it, you know, and I'm not going to slow down. It's hopefully just going to get more and more on the uh, more and more on the cars and, and yeah, keep charging, yeah. get busier and busier. Well, but, and, yeah, and like, I, yeah, I love it. Yeah, man, and it's good on you, man. Like, I've... I've Hundred percent mean what I'm saying here. Like, good on you because, like, one thing I sort of see, you know, I've dealt with, I guess, collectively maybe four hundred or more than four hundred young Kiwis, sort of that are interested in the outdoors, be it hunting, fishing, diving, what have you, with Ultimate OE, you know. And despite the fact that so many of these guys get to go away and live their dreams, there's a lot of stress and, and I guess, sort of mental depreciation. I guess is as a current term, but you know what I mean. Like, we're not, we don't just get to go after our dreams and live them, and I think when you look around right now, given what's happened in New Zealand with COVID or internationally with COVID, the simple fact is if we look at those that did go after their dreams, did do the things they enjoyed, and regardless of what they earned doing it or where they sit financially now, they will be happy. And they'll be basically just waiting to see what comes next in their journey. Whereas those that sort of just fell into the realm of needing to earn, needing a social status, needing a house to match the social status and all that, they're just stressed to their eyeballs, man stressed out and it ain't good for you yeah see I'll, I'll, I'll definitely try and avoid that yeah and I, I think this COVID will be <laughs> the one of the pluses to come out of it if if we come out of it the right way is as a population we could see a shift in what actually matters you know what I mean yeah exactly man it's it's, it's good I mean the whole nation has had, just had to stop they've had to slow they've had to slow down yep. people have taken time that they probably haven't had for years off and they're just kind of just chilling spending time with their family hopefully it rearranges a few priorities and yep and yeah, but no, you're, 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 you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. I've got a few people. I mean, with what I do, a lot of what is seen is either on online, uh, it's mm-hmm. on it's on TV, you know, so you see the, you see the final product. You see yep. it for, you know, and, the and it paints a com- <laughs> Exactly, man. You see, it paints yep. a completely different picture. It's the same with any social media platform. Yep. You look at a social media platform, you're just like, holy shit. That guy's living the dream. That guy's doing so well. It's so easy, man. That, that guy, that, that guy's an amazing hunter. Every time he goes out, he slays it. But that's that, that's that's not the case at all, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We still haven't it's, it's, we haven't created a social media platform that just shows all the shit parts. <laughs> exactly, man. Because the shit, the shit parts just just don't make it. There's, oh yeah. man, they're they're, they're absolutely there, especially with yeah. doing what I'm doing. You know, there's, uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of downsides to doing what I'm doing, but um, I always just try and. Focus on the good things, and, and, yeah, and every and every downside to it is one hundred percent worth it. For, well, for it's a building upsides, platform, you know? isn't it? You know what I mean? And that that's a that's a life story, man. That ain't just a spear fisherman story or or a hunter story. That's just a life story, you know. But as part of part of your filling in the voids for work wise, you headed to the Chathams. Do you do that regularly, or is that is that a new thing? Or no? Nah, so the first time I went over to the Chathams was with Pretty Weeper. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's got his show, Pretty Sticky Tour, which I jumped on board. <laughs> Funny story. I don't even know if he knows this actually, but I got word that he had a TV show coming up, and uh, I was drunk as <laughs> on, a, on a boys' trip. We were at Pagunning in the Coromandel, and I heard, and you know, but a bit of Dutch courage and yeah, yeah, yeah. flicking him a message on Instagram, be like, "Oh, hey, bro, you know, you got a TV show coming up. Love your work. You know, if you, if you ever need a hand and with some underwater stuff, you know, just let me know." And I woke up in the morning and he bloody replied to me, being like, "Yep, sweet ass, bro. What's your email?" <laughs> Good man. And then uh, caught up with him in Wellington, and then the next trip after that, he took me over to the Chatham Islands, um, and so that was my first introduction to the Chatham Islands. So we went over there and filmed an episode, which was epic. I remember that. That was the Harpokers, eh? Yeah, yeah. So we went out. We managed to find some some, some shallow water Harpoker with with Floydie. Yep. Did some hunting. He shot a ram. Checked the island out and just kind of soaked up a bit of Chatham Island culture. And man. That was a shock to the system. Yeah, that place is gnarly. But so ever since then, I've kind of got to know a couple of the boys over there. Actually, when I went over there, I stayed behind. All the film crew buggered off, and I stayed behind because I had a couple of mates who were commercial diving and stayed with them for a couple of days and got to know some of the locals. 
And then luckily enough, I had the opportunity to, to get invited back over and um, yeah, do some more commercial diving. So the Chatham Islands is one of the few places, in the, well, it's the only place in New Zealand where you can legally, commercially free dive. Um, so that was yeah. So you can't do that anywhere else in New Zealand. It's all it's all um, everything's potted over here. So basically, we just jump in our gear and jump in the water and just go free diving for for crazy and you grab every crazy you can find. Man, that's what, such a cool boat. Um, well, I've, I've got a couple of things on the channel. So I haven't been there yet. I've got a few friends that have done a bit of either hunting or, or diving over there, like you know. And one of the things I saw on your, I think it was. I'm bloody sure I've got to think back. Like I'm not a big social media guy, but was the um, finding the old shark teeth in the yeah. the prehistoric? Like, are they actually prehistoric? Are they all prehistoric teeth that you're finding, or are they? Is it yeah, any man. of? Yeah. No, no, they're all they're all about oh, between like fifteen to thirty, or even longer, thirteen to fifty million years old. No shit. Oh man, it's 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 crazy. It's a crazy place, man. So when you one of the ones you is, found, eh, was. Well, you or the guy you were with, I can't remember the exact specifics, but it was a big tooth, eh? Yeah, I, I found a real goodie. So oh, yeah, it was you, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, so I, I found a goodie, which was, it might be like an ancestor of the Great White. But where, where, you're, where you're finding them is, like the Chatham Islands has a big freshwater lagoon, smack bang in the middle of it. And that's where you're finding them. You're finding these things in freshwater. So you've got these these big sort of limestone rock faces that come out on a certain part of that lagoon. And basically, as that limestone erodes, you've got these shark's teeth piling hmm. out of it. It's crazy. So basically, what would have happened way. was, ah. yeah, so the, the Chatham Islands, before it was an island, would have been um, like an atoll, like a, like a big a big reef yep. offshore, you know, before it broke the surface. And it just would have had sharks because it would have been such a healthy ecosystem over there. It just would have had sharks everywhere. And sharks just have, their, their mouths are like conveyor belts and they're just constantly spitting out teeth you know they're just constantly growing new ones and the old ones get discarded yeah so they just would have been settling on the bottom eventually got fossilized over and then you can walk along just you just walk along the side of the lagoon man you just find these amazing Mate, teeth. like some cool, of the boys man. oh some of the boys are finding some some beauties man like metal, are you metal allowed on teeth. are you allowed are you allowed them like is there i don't know I don't oh know. yeah like, yeah for sure you you, you you definitely allowed them yeah yep. i mean of, of course the locals were Want the goodies, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? no, yeah, no doubt. They don't want they don't, they don't want tourists coming over and, and grabbing their their megalodon teeth. But, yeah, um, no. But yeah, yeah, no. Of course, I, I came back. I came back with a good haul, and it was and it was awesome. But you can go along there, man. And like, but the, the big ones are really hard to find. Yeah, I don't you, doubt. You, you yeah. can go along and find heap, heaps of heaps of small stuff easy enough. Yeah, and it's also worth going for a walk along the beaches too, man. Yeah. Because um, because there's, there's so many great whites around the island. Great whites are doing the same thing. They're constantly spitting mm. out teeth. So I went for a walk and I managed to find an old great white tooth as well. Cool, man. So with, yeah. oh, now that we're on sharks, we might as well go that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you had any genuine run-ins with, what, predators? Not, I guess there's probably others than just sharks, but, um, you know, like sharks themselves. Like, have you had any real actual bad interaction? I, generally, I love swimming sharks. Yep. They are... Just the coolest animals to be in the water with, and more often than not, they're all a big bunch of pussies. You give them, you, you look them in the eye, and you pay them too much attention because I've always got a camera in here to try and film them. They're so hard to film mm. because they're pussies. You swim towards them, and they uh, and they take off. Um, I, I, when I was first started spearfishing, I, I got bitten by a wee shark out of Nelson here. Got a hold of my hand. I got ten stitches in my hand. <laughs> but that's a very sort of it was a funny situation where a mate of mine had been spear. This is his first time spearfishing, and he got. Had some kingies swim past and he missed them and he got frustrated. And I was filming the shark and he thought it was an edible species and he just swam down and shot this thing for God knows what reason. What were you thinking, Rob? <laughs> yeah, Rob. And this bloody yeah. I was I was filming this thing and it just <laughs> swam straight at me. Yeah, got a hold of my hand and I got my other hand on this thing's bloody nose and it's thrashing around and I look up and Rob's cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> well, to um, be fair, man, I guess. Your odds of getting bitten by a shark are pretty small, so now that you've actually broken those odds, you're probably better off to get away with that than something else. Oh, tell me about it, man. <laughs> tell me about it. Hopefully it's the, the first first and last shark. Right? Yeah, man. But, um, but no, generally, generally they're pretty good. I've been swimming with tiger sharks, bull sharks. New Zealand, we get a bit, quite a few 
big bronze whalers. They can get pretty aggressive when when you when you're hunting around them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like it's not the smell of blood or anything that gets them going. It's the, the, the movement, yeah. yeah, the movement of of, of a dead fish. Mm-hmm. It just sends that just they just go into their natural predatory instinct. And I think it's the way that things are going. There've been some. Uh, we're not actually sure what's caused it, but there's been a massive spike in shark numbers in New Zealand in bronze whalers. Right. And we think it's just a, yeah due to a change in commercial fishing methods where a lot of juveniles used to get caught and some of the gillnets that used to get put up and down the coast, but they're not in the water anymore. So mm-hmm. there's, there's just a lot more sharks staying in the water. Yeah, right. But yeah, g- g- generally, generally they're pretty good. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen a whitey yet. I was close when I opened the Chathams. I almost saw a whitey, but no, nah, I haven't seen one yet. My first, the last time, like you were saying, so to fill in the gaps, I do some commercial diving here and there. Um, crayfish, I went back and did some parlors last year. And, uh, and our first dive, the first day I got there, in the first 10, 15 minutes, yeah, we had a whitey swim up to the boat. So I filled up my yeah, first yeah. can of power, swam it over to the boat, gave it to the boatman, swam back. He was only about 20 metres away. Yeah. And dived down and started getting some more powers and I put my head back up and the boat's sitting on top of me. And the boatman's like, get in, bro. Get in, bro. There's a shark, bro. Get in, bro. I was like, oh, shit. So I held onto the boat and I was looking around trying to get a look at this thing before I jumped in. Yeah, but I didn't see it. But yeah, sure enough, as Tane was working on the power at the back of the boat and then turned to the steering wheel, he looked down and there was a whitey just sitting there cruising on his side, eyeballing him. And then swam off. Oh, that like I mean, uh, we still probably live a little bit of <laughs> creation from the Jaws movies. Are they? They're not any more dangerous than other species, are they? No. Like I mean, no. like and, and this is a very uneducated decision on Curran's behalf, and, and based on the amount of diving I do, it's very poor. I've always sort of said I think I'd rather get bit by a great white than thrashed to shit by a Marco or something like that. Like <laughs> I'd rather oh, it be oh, one real yeah. good one. I don't know. <laughs> well, see, for me. I, I honestly don't think we have as many attacks as we think. I'm using my little yep. fingers as quotation marks here. Um, just because it w- there'd be a lot more deaths. If we had genuine attacks, there'd be a lot more deaths because if a shark actually wanted to attack you, I mean, we yeah, just yeah. sex it. We just sex and meat with bone in the middle, man. These yep. things here have so much power behind them. Um, more often than not, what they do, because they've got this, their, their main sensory organ is on their face, Mm-hmm. Um, the amp- ampullae of Lorenzini and basically what they have is the, their face are pretty much their hands so if they see something that they're not sure of they check it Touch out it. with yeah. their face and unfortunately there's just heaps of sharp shit in their mouths yeah, as they're doing it the Chatham Islands is probably one of the hot spots in the world for great whites you go and you hear stories from some of the locals you know and they go out fishing and they put a bit of a burley down sometimes around a seal colony and they'll have half a dozen if not more great whites mm-hmm. swimming around the boat you know there's there's plenty there yeah, but, man. And, and, there's, and there's so many divers out there who are spending so much time in the water, thousands and thousands and thousands of diving hours are done out there, and not many people get attacked. There's been no, nobody's been killed over there, let's put it that way. Yeah. Kenna, Kenna was bitten really bad, Kenna Scully, so he got, he got, he got bitten on, on evening one night out there and had to get flown out to New Zealand, and then Vaughan, he's a local out there, he got attacked quite badly as well, um, lost an arm and had his other arm damaged, but I mean, considering... The Chatham Islands is dive history. Yeah, yeah, number of hours in the water there, there, and stuff. Exactly, there, there, there should be a lot more. And a lot of these guys, they've seen plenty. They haven't been attacked. Scary as shit, of course, yeah. don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's yeah. terrifying seeing a great white in the water. And they need to be respected. But, yeah, like you were saying, I honestly don't think they're as bad as what you think. Mm. Marcos, Marcos are another another one as well. You know, more often than not, you don't get attacked by, by a Marco. Um, they, they're quite clever sharks, eh? There's... Certain type of shark, um, which I think is the great white Marco, poor beagle, um, and there's another one in there as well. And they've got a thermoregulator in by their brain, so it basically means that they can inject warm blood into their brain, kind of on on demand, on demand almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which basically which basically just kind of takes away that sort of bloodthirsty natural flight or fight response in every situation. Mm. You know, they don't necessarily let a, a single instinct take over. Because they can just pump blood, warm blood into their brain, and it means they're capable of actually split decision making. They can yep. actually think Educated a wee bit more, and process things a wee bit more. Mm. Yeah, yeah, which makes them a little scarier. But also at the same time, <laughs> but also at the same time, just makes them that much more sort of clever and. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see one. I'm yeah, right. cool. desperate to see a whitey because I'm feeling I, I feel confident enough that you can pick up on a shark's behaviour. 
Yeah. Um, and more often than not, they're not just going to see you. In, in well, it's a little bit like, I, I guess, in, in my field, or, you know, Matthew and myself feel like grizzly bears. You know, like it's kind of comparative to that, really. Like they are dangerous, and there are there is obviously a lot of recorded instances and stuff, but if you do your part right and and, and follow protocol and do what you need to do, then she's like like the old adages, eh? there's more chance of getting run over hidden towards the beach or, you know, all that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff, you know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. want either, but that's the reality. Yeah. With, um, yeah, bang on. One one thing I have started seeing, I guess, through social media stuff, and I think it's a it's a really cool direction because I I think it's a direction hunters have started heading in, and now I see it more. Whether or not it was always happened, is like the um the preserving of fish trophies, like cleaning out the jaws of snapper, and some guys are even doing the entire skeletal process. You know what I mean? Like, is that is that a growing thing within spearfishing and that? Like, you're actually yeah having your own trophies, if you like. Yeah, I, I honestly think it is. I mean, for mm-hmm. me, it's something that, um, yeah, like when I first started shooting these big snapper, you know, like I don't, I haven't shot many big snapper, you know, I don't shoot too many big snapper, but it's, but it's my way of kind of, it's, it's not, I'm not, you don't necessarily collect trophies, you more collect memories, you know, yeah, as yeah, cliche yeah. as that yeah. sounds. No, you know, no, no, but 100%. That, but, that, but that's exactly it, you know, I can look at a, a jaw that I've cleaned up and have mounted up, you know, I know exactly what that dive was, I know exactly who I was with, I know exactly what the day was like. You know, and I thought and I said, but I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot more people starting to do it. It's cool. um, and it's just, and it's another way of, you know, respecting the animal that you've harvested. I mean, fish are seen differently to uh, to your deer. And, yeah, and, I think, and, but and I think it's a real, a good, a good way for us hunter gatherers that are, <laughs> yeah, into killing stuff. Like it's a good way that we actually show a little bit of attachment to what we're doing. You know, I think it's a really good passive way, you know, because it's for ourselves. We don't necessarily have to do it for anybody else, but the end of the day, it shows a little bit more connection and a little bit more respect to, to what it is we're doing. Um, so I, yeah. I think it's a really cool thing, and it's cool that it's growing. And they look cool, man. Yeah. Like, I've always yeah. I've always wanted a shark jaw. That's just something to put in my trophy room. No idea why I've always wanted a shark jaw. But then you start seeing, like, these snapper jaws and stuff like that. I'm like, damn, they're pretty cool. Like they're, you know, gnarly, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like that—that's to me, that's cool. You know, and and like I say, like a little wee country boy here from Alexandria. If I did a trip to the North Island, like I've only caught two or three kingfish in my life, but if I caught a reasonable snapper and a reasonable kingfish, or something like that, like boiling up those skulls and bringing them home, they—they they are trophies to me. They're—they're they're much in the same as your your stag eaters now. You know, like I don't—I can't just go and get them. I mean, the snapper and the kingfish are. I guess slowly progressing their ways down here, but when you're two hours from the coast, you'd be amazed at the amount of days we've got the boat ready and driven over there, only to sit there and have a beer and have to come home. <laughs> you know what I mean? You oh, know, it's classic to... down your way. Yeah, you yeah. It's so hard to get in the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that's all good, man. And um, one other thing that I th- saw you, I don't know, involved in. I don't, I don't want to speak over your involvement in it, but was around spearfishing for a fish quota. I think, I think yeah. you were doing butterfish, eh? Was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah that, 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 that's exactly it. So, um, it's, that's it's a cool, new man. Practice. I really like this. So oh. Go go hard on descripting this if you want. I, I think it's awesome. Because <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll add my little bit. Like, yeah. As a hunter, we get the we get the chance to make the decision on why we decide that animal in terms of the hunting I do, but you, you're talking fish. Yeah. Why we would harvest that. The benefit of harvesting that is that it's said size, said condition, blah 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 blah. And I just think spearfishing as a as a method to harvest a quota is so ethically high. Hard work for you guys, don't get me wrong, but so ethically high. And I, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, in today's day and age, you know, where everybody's starting to become more more conscious of where their food comes from, and and, and, and you look at the the condition of the oceans around the rest of the world, you know, it's um, you know, things aren't great, but we've got it pretty fantastic here in New Zealand. So yeah, so there's a method that's being trialled where they are. They're, they're, they're thinking about well, they're tri- trialling spearfishing commercially for for certain species of fish, just as a, as an alternative method to to current practices. You know? Um, you know, so the good thing about spearfishing is, like you were saying, it's incredibly selective. What you're doing is you're you're, you're focusing on an individual fish. You're deciding whether you want to harvest that fish or not. Based on its on its size and its condition, then you've, you've got to hunt it, shoot it, harvest it, look after it, process it, and uh, and yeah. So we're doing that with a few a few reef species. 
But I'm just, I'm just helping out a mate of mine who's who's trialing. I've got a couple of mates who, who, who are trialing it, and yeah, it's it's a fantastic thing to do. Bugger all bycatch, you know, selectively harvest harvest it, and it's uh, and it, yeah, it's got a really good story behind it. You know, it's it's, mm. it's a product that's you've got a, a local diver going out diving locally, harvesting it with a gun, um, and I think a lot of people, you know, if you put that product in front of them, they'd appreciate it a lot more rather than uh, you know a big trawl out in the trench going out catching you know a couple hundred ton yeah. at a time you know and, and the fish may not necessarily be fresh you know whereas everything that we're doing it's all it's going to plate you know the very next day pretty much mm. which 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 is great you know i'm pretty pr- pretty proud to be a part of something like that yeah man you should be it's awesome when you're i guess in a, in a hunting terminology when we get specific about harvesting an animal particularly in the in the trophy hunting side of it but even as a recreational hunter do you can you age fish or is it purely just like a size and health decision it's all it's all pretty much size and health you can tell a yep. fish when a fish starts going backwards you can tell pretty quick i mean the animal the animal world in the water is is cruel you know it's, it's yep. pretty it's pretty savage as soon as a fish starts going backwards it has you know all of its kind of advantages over its predators start going backwards that's it it gets taken out by a shark or something else and you uh, with with deer and stuff we don't have those predators here unfortunately these these animals kind of just really deteriorate until they can't eat properly or they get sick and then they die mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you don't yeah so more often than not it's um you just kind of base a fish on its on its condition on its size and then you decide whether you want to you want to take it or not yeah it's, it's in terms of age they're quite hard to, to age they've got these ear bones that sit in their head and that they grow like trees they you know in, right. in winter there's not as much food they don't grow as fast but in summer there's heaps so so you, you can actually age them through those bones and they've done that on a few they've done that study on a few different species but say like snapper you might have oh like a, a 15 pound snapper that might be 28 years old you know but it hasn't gotten any bigger than 15 pound yeah, whereas right. you might shoot a, a 25 pound snapper that may be 22 years old mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um it, it, it's, it all comes down to different environmental conditions that yeah, to, to determine how, how that fish grows. So it's, it's kind of hard to tell. You can't be like, oh, that 20-pound snapper is at least 25 years old sort of thing. But, um, yeah, you know, if you see a big snapper, it's going to it's got relatively on. old. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the good thing is, I mean, a lot of people aren't seeing it, but, I mean, the fishing is great. Yeah. I mean, we've got so many people out on boats at the moment with the technology that we've got, Spiros with the gear that they've got. All these guys are still going out and shooting a good feed. We're so mm. lucky here in New Zealand. There's kingies. Well, Every, every, everywhere down here in Nelson, man, we're getting more and more kingfish every year. Well, they're even coming down our way. Like I got, I got a few guys that have charters, mates that have charters and stuff up, you know, Meraki and that that way. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, and yeah. they're certainly uh, seeing more kingfish and so forth. But I know, down our way, like, and there'll be some guys that are cringing at me saying this, but like our quota is still thirty blue cod. Like that's that's massively excessive man you know what I mean if you go out there and catch 30 blue cod each per person on a boat like it's a horrendous amount of fish oh, 60 fillers man who needs, who needs 60 fillers exactly exa- well that's per person you know what I mean and I just think per that's a bit of a shame yeah so hopefully yeah. I know that there's talk about them changing that and I do I hope they do you know because all that happened was as the changes came down, I guess from Nelson down to Christchurch, then the, after the earthquakes, you know, they got pushed down. All that happens now is more people travel and fish to those bigger quotas. And, you know, that's that's probably a little bit of an attitude we need to change as Kiwis, you know. Oh, um, I, I completely agree with that. I, I, don't want to touch, I don't want to touch on it too much. You know, no. Because there are a few people who are firm believers on, on you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want my 30 blue cod, and that's, and that's fine. But all I want to say to that is that, um, you know, we used to have that up here, up in Nelson. You know, now the Marlborough Sounds, the fisheries completely collapsed. We can only take two blue cod per person, and there's a big chunk of the year. Well, not a big chunk, but there's a chunk of the year we, we can't fish for them at all. Our power, yeah. we can only take five power per person now. Yeah, um, which is still a good our, feed, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's still plenty, man. And yeah. our scallop fishery is completely collapsed. We haven't been able to take a single scallop out of here for years. And I know that the commercial guys, the guys who are working out of Fobo Strait, they're starting to see a decline. Yeah, but you're, you're right. I mean, we probably don't need. It's just, it's just an attitude, man. Like, I'm not, yeah, I'm certainly not having a go at anybody that does it. And to be totally honest, I've done it. Oh, yeah. Me you too. know, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think somewhere along the line, unfortunately, we lost the value on a day's diving with two mates or we lost the value on a day's fishing with a mate or two. You know what I mean? Like that that value plus 10 blue cod each or that value plus your five power, that that's more than you needed to achieve for a day. You know what I mean? Like that's that's where I think we needed to 
keep our values just in, in the time we're having, you know, how lucky we are to have it. Yeah, man. Yeah, I used to, I used to do the same thing, eh, when I first started spearfishing, shooting to fish, and then you just realise that filleting sucks. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and eh. To, and, and it turns out... Next week and get some more. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's where I was going to go with it, eh. Like, it turns out by the time you dig it out of the freezer for the third or fourth time, it's not as good anyway. And, <laughs> no. and there's a likelihood you've, you know, potentially been back out. So, but that's cool, man. But so what's, what's next on, on the list for Sam? Like, obviously, we've got to figure out what level we're heading into next but on a bigger picture like what what's coming up for you um yeah well this COVID thing's throwing a few spanners in the works but um we've got a new tv show so dave shaw mm-hmm. who's the legend behind the hunters club so i was lucky enough to get he, he snapped me up and what, he's given me some awesome opportunities to do some filming with him so the spearfishing that the, the, the boys did on the hunters club i was a part of Yep. And he's, I mean, and, and those and those episodes were so well received that Dave's branched out and he started his own spearfishing show. So he's going to South do a show, South South Sea Spiro. So it's going to yep. be this along the same lines as the Hunters Club, but um, the underwater hunting side of things. And we've we've filmed the first season of that so far, which cool. is awesome. We've had some mean trips. We went out to a place called the Wanganella Banks. Uh, we went out and targeted some marlin, and that was just <sighs> mind blowing. It's probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen in the water. Um, Three Kings, bit of Tonga. Um, out the Coromandel, you know, a bit of, bit of backyard stuff as well. And, and yeah, so we're, we're going to hopefully crack into filming some more of that. Season cool. two, get straight into filming season two. A couple of marketing gigs and all that sort of carry on. Yeah, there. But it's one of those things because it's all, all, all the work's based around the ocean. It's all weather-based. Yeah. yeah, plans are all just so, so loose, you know. There's, a lot of times it's, hey, mate, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> There's a good weather window. Or, yeah. Or in a couple of days, want to come down to Stewart Island and do this? Yeah, mate, sweet as. So it's 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 all it's all up in the air. But yeah, hopefully we can get down the season of Spiky Gold filmed as well. Cool. Which is um which is a show that was filmed down on the commercial Kinnaharvesters down um down Fiordland, Stewart Island way. And if you haven't seen that, that's that's hard case. Yep. Just some hard case, hard case boys working hard, earning good money, but working their asses off too. In yeah. Some of the best, best parts of the country. If you do watch it, just make sure the kids aren't around because uh, the boys don't <laughs> really have much of a food yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, that's cool, man. That's good, man. And then the other thing you've got to do, Sam, which you don't know about yet, is but you've got to submit a recipe into the Hunt and Gather recipe book. I don't know if you know about oh, it shit. yet, but we've um, <laughs> we're putting out a recipe book for mental health. So, oh, man. Yeah, man. So we figured while we're on COVID lockdown, we will get as many recipes as we can. They're all basically from hunting and gatherers around New Zealand and some international followers that have jumped on board, so that's cool. And we're going to print up a real high-quality recipe book that we can all be proud of, and 100% of its earnings, like no grey in it, uh, is all going to go to mental health. So, so man, that's another job for you while you've got another couple of three days in lockdown. <laughs> I'll send you a link. You're giving me something to do. Oh, no, that, that's awesome, bro. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, yeah, sweet, man. Yeah, awesome. I'll find something through, something seafood-based. That'll be primo. No, good as gold. Yeah, no, that's awesome, man. But um, other than that, massive thank you to to your time this morning. And I will put down the links, assuming you want me to, for your social pages oh, um, yeah, man. on, yeah, on the websites. Uh, just, I mean, most of the Kiwis will know you, but certainly our international followers would be pretty keen to check you out. Um, I'll also put down the Pure Salt. We can put a link in there for the South Sea Spiro stuff and um, your spiky gold stuff as well. Awesome, bro. No, that's it, good, man. man. Thanks for your time. Oh, bro, thanks for having me. Thanks for helping me kill an hour of my day. I've got to go and try and find something to do now. G'day. Thanks for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. There are a number of ways you can connect with myself, Matthew Gibson, or my partner in crime, Curran Island, at The Educated Hunter. And the hub for all of this is our website, theeducatedhunter.com. Our Instagram page is at theeducatedhunter. Our website also has a spot where you can sign up for our newsletter that comes once every two weeks and is full of relevant information about hunting in New Zealand and around the world. And lastly, you can search out any of the episodes that we've done in the past and find the show notes on that episode. Other than that, thanks very much for listening and I hope you're having a good day wherever you are and your next hunting adventure is not too far away.